Are you looking for folk magic, handcrafted spiritual supplies made by an incredible practitioner? Then go no further than Living Roots Creations at etsy.com slash shop slash Living Roots Creations. Nicole makes handmade spiritual supplies and holistic bath and body products, including lavender spray, mugwort aromatherapy spray, Florida water soap, a hard reset kit, black bath bombs, and one of my personal favorites, her Radiance Shaved Butter. So, if you're looking for excellent resources to smell well and to spell well, check out Living Roots Creations. Etsy.com slash shop slash Living Roots Creations. Etsy.com slash shop slash Living Roots Creations. With the holidays coming up, we are all searching for that one gift that will make our partner go speechless. While I may have the perfect place for you. At Banna's Lab, you will find unique handmade occult jewelry like rings made from purple Mojave turquoise, to necklaces draped in the warm beauty of citrine, to the mysterious smoky quartz earrings. Not a jewelry fan? They make pendulums and stickers as well with clever sayings such as, My runes told me to, and Athumla Dairy, best milk in the universe. So if you're looking to decorate your body or spice up your journal, head on over to banaslab.etsy.com. banaslab.etsy.com. Are you looking for a spectacular gift for a loved one? Something they can't get anywhere else? If so, I've got a solution for you, and that's Wormwood Wares. Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Wormwood Wares. And at Wormwood Wares, you can get a reading. And that can be a $5 astrology dice roll. That could be a moonology reading. That could be a past, present, future tarot card reading. But if you're looking for a really unique gift, check out the custom tarot poetry. That's going to be a four-card reading for a loved one. And then Miss Vivian Wormwood is going to create a poem to go with your reading. And that poem will express thoughts and concepts that came through in the reading. You will get this delivered to you in electronic format. So you could take that poem and you could print it for a scrapbook. You could have it framed. You you could go to Fiverr and have someone do a calligraphy of it. Your options are wide open and it's completely unique. Nobody else is going to be able to get your loved one a gift like this. So check out Wormwood Wares etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash wormwood wares and maybe get a reading for yourself while you're there tell them two snakes sent you come check out mother multiverse media mind-bending adventures in an imaginary reality imaginary adventures in a mind-bending reality check out games such as indeterminate a solo puzzle life simulation rpg beyond death players after fatality Two Die Monster Heroes, Bad Signal, Oracle, How to Create the Greatest Role-Playing Game, The Old Ways, The Void Tome, a solo RPG of finding a grimoire and becoming a sorcerer, Bittersweets, the candy punk RPG about being hated, rejected, but still being sweet. And also check out the ever-awesome 
ever wonderful. Vector, Attack of the Metapirates, a living mimetic virus disguised as an RPG supplement for all systems. Check it out at mothermultiverse.itch.io. Expand your mind and bring in the new worlds. Mothermultiverse.itch.io. We'll go out on the ocean, and when the coast is clear. Hey everybody, it's Jim Two Snakes, and guess what? November is here already, which means it's gift buying season. You know, you gotta be on the lookout for those gifties you're gonna give to your loved ones come the holiday season. And there's no better place to shop than the Wonderful Body Company, Wonderful Body Co. Dot com. And you can find all kinds of fun things there. Inspired self-care, bath salts, ritual oils, hair oil, lotions, and fragrances. And they have some really amazing themes to them because they're inspired by deities and by astrological signs and even by Harry Potter. So if you know that you have a Capricorn in your life, why wouldn't you want to get them some Capricorn-inspired scents and oils to use all year long. They're going to think about you, and that's going to go right to their heart. And so you can look there for all kinds of inspirational gifts for the loved ones in your life. And that's Wonderful Body Company, wonderfulbodyco.com. You can also find them on Instagram and TikTok. And for a limited time, Around Grandfather Fire listeners can put in the promo code AGF30 for 30% off. 30% off. And that's a great way to get a bunch of stocking stuffers for your loved ones. So go check out Wonderful Body Company. WonderfulBodyCO.com. Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire as your hosts, Saren Odinson, Jim Two Snakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late night conversations by real life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? Long ago, great ice spirits came down from the north. They were massive, standing taller than the mountains. They set to work shaping the earth over long eras of the world, creating the rolling hills and the contours of the land to their liking. Yet, they also knew the world was getting warmer and their time was coming to an end. As the last and greatest of their works, the ice spirits dug out five great beds for themselves, and in those beds, they laid down to rest. Their bodies melted away, and the world flooded. That is how the Great Lakes came to be, and how the waters of life filled the land for all. 
that would follow. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 80, believe it or not. I am Jim Two Snakes, your host, joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Saren Thodenson and Caitlin Stormbreaker. How are you both doing tonight? (laughs) (laughs) That good, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no, super. (laughs) Um, Back full-time at the greenhouse, which is great it's just great yeah it's it's a it's it's real nice when you you wake up every other morning with an entirely numb hand that is a mild indication that i'm either gonna have to get rotator cuff surgery or uh carpal tunnel surgery soon ish and i'm like that's fun great great yeah although fantastic i did have a uh (laughs) A great moment on another Discord board that I'm a part of where I basically had to stand up and become the shield for all women in the world because there were a couple of dudes having a conversation that should have had a woman involved, but wasn't. And some of the comments were a little derogatory and uh, a little berating towards the intelligence of women and so i i wrote a very nice and pleasant go fuck yourself assholes good for you and even the uh the guy who runs the board private messaged me and he's like thank you so much he's like that was very well written and you were nicer to them than they actually deserved and i was like (laughs) yeah my go fuck yourself smile is super It one went shield wall. Shit, it's just me. All right, we're doing it anyway. I don't. Care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck it. My shield just got a whole lot bigger. Come here, assholes. Love it. Yeah, it was great, and I I kind of dedicated it to Freya, and she was like, "Good job, proud of you." That's fantastic. I love it. I love Keep it. Keep going. So, so what about you, Sarenth? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> about the same, huh? Well. <laughs> You know, to be fair, I did actually get some decent sleep today, but that's because I worked 16 hours straight and crashed as soon as I got home so I could actually be up in time for this podcast. Oh, good. Um, That is pretty much the only way that I'm surviving work right now is by intentionally choosing when I'm going to get hit. Um, So right now it's going to be Mondays and Fridays, and I'm intentionally choosing those days. Did everybody else lose sound on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was okay. just checking my audio and I'm like, me too. Was that, Wait a minute. Was that me? <laughs> Hang on. I am going to probably have to replace these headphones because they are just goofing fierce. And oh, well, that'd be the other reason why they keep cutting out. It's on the run mic. There we go. That's through my Yeti now. Oh, that's so much better. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, probably the reason the audio hasn't been so great is because I had the stupid microphone right in, in the headset <laughs> look man you get a pass you just work the microphone. 16 hours and then right? like just no face planted doubt. in the bed you're good uh, all right so i'll give you the options. option uh, i'll leave you the option we want hmm. to do that whole rant again or do you want me to leave in the silly audio goof <laughs> fuck it <laughs> fuck it all i'll right. be human yay technical <laughs> difficulties all right I mean, we, we've left in serious audio gaps and goofs before, and I think our, our listeners of this quarter are just used to <laughs> fucking up. <laughs> I love it. I think it humanizes oh. us a little bit. For those that have been listening, 
yes, that was indeed commercials you heard at the beginning of this show. And for the five businesses that we did commercials for, those are all people that are longtime supporters of the show, or they're on our Discord, or in you know, at least one case has been a guest before. So we wanted, we started talking, the three hosts, we started talking last month. And with it being November and the beginning of the holiday shopping season, both shows this month before the show begins, we're going to be running some surprise ads for some of our followers. So, you know, if you've got a small business and you're part of our Discord server, let us know. Shoot us a message. Put something in there. We're kind of trying to focus a little bit on, on physical items. Maybe we'll hit the services up a little heavier later, but we're going to try uh, mostly on, on products. That way we can help encourage the small business, especially. It's been a trying year for a lot of people, and it's really weird right now. And we all know, you know the, there's going to be some weirdness about even acquiring gifts for the holidays. So why wouldn't you want some handmade or or, uh, goodies from some really awesome people. So that's why we went ahead and did that. And we hope that you enjoy them. And if you're one of those people, we just surprised and you want a copy of that commercial to use in other places, let me know. I'll send you the audio. So. Yeah. We just wanted to have a simple way to give back and say, thank you because we have this platform because of you and it's, it, it was nothing to us to do it. And it, it's just a beautiful gift that we can give back, not only to the companies that support us, but also to our wider community, because some of the the things you guys create is so beautiful and imaginative and and just wonderful. You know, it, it's it's a beautiful thing to get a handmade gift for Christmas or birthdays or whatever. So um, if you do have the chance and you're not one of these companies, go check them out, you know, give them a like, a follow, a share, you know, even if you can't buy any other stuff and yeah, help us support them, I guess. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, I've been saying this for years and I've hold, heard both of you echo it as well, that as much as I hate capitalism, there's really only one way for communities to kind of get stronger and get better political representation. And we've seen it with other minority religions. And so the only way that pagans are going to get ahead is by supporting other pagans, throwing our money around, being something that politicians will see. And the way that we do that is by supporting each other's businesses. So also from an environmental bent, you know, there is no group of people that's going to be more careful about ethically sourcing things, putting love and attention into them than, than a pagan shop or a pagan creator. So just great people to support. Well, and the, the other aside from that is I was born and raised in a family business. And a big thing that I was always taught was it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, but the difference between supporting a corporate a corporation over a small business is instead of helping that CEO buy a third vacation house, you're helping a child take gymnastic classes or join band or join football or whatever, you know, you're, you're helping support a family and not a conglomerate. And that's just that small businesses are what support and run our, our communities and our, our cities and our towns. 
So with all of this community-based talk and sustainability, why don't we get into introducing our returning guest this evening? Joining us again tonight on Around Grandfather Fire, and actually the author of that poem that you heard Caitlin recite at the beginning of the show, Nicholas Haney joins us again. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hi. Hello, everybody. It's great to be back, and with the addition of Storm this time. I think it was just the two of you last time. It was just the it two was. of us yeah. last time. Yeah, well, the it's two so of good us, you, you and your wife. But, you know, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yes. It's nice to be back. It's nice to be talking with like-minded again, because, hey, we've been in a pandemic for two years now, and there <laughs> right? hasn't been a lot of that on my end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and even, you know, I know, like, we both kind of share the introverted feelings towards, like, big groups, but when you're in a big group of a bunch of people you know, you kind of you kind of like it, and when you rejoin that group, you're like, wow, I really missed this. I get to be weird again. <laughs> Yay! Because <laughs> I don't work it's, with you all. <laughs> yeah, It's odd. I mean, like, I'm fairly extroverted, and... I'm uncomfortable in groups right now. So it's really creating this like crisis in my brain of like, I want to hang out with people. I don't trust people. (laughs) (laughs) So how have you been, Nick? I'm just going to echo the statement for (laughs) that. Because like with the work thing, I am on an involuntary three day weekend because we just had COVID burn through the plant like crazy. Of course. And in the brilliant mine that is management they brought in a team from outside to fill that hole and then we sent them all home too so yeah (laughs) so so what i'm hearing is of the four of us i only work 12 hours and have a one hour community each, each way so i'm probably working the least of the four of us and yet somehow people are lazy and no one wants to work this is what i'm hearing So about that, um, (laughs) I I found out something uh, really interesting, and I've actually been trying to find the article since I read it, and I cannot find it Mm. anywhere. So I have a feeling it's been removed. Um, So maybe I shouldn't, because then maybe this podcast will be removed if I reiterate the information I found. I haven't removed us for anything yet. Right. That's fair. Um. So back in the beginning when they were offering a bunch of money to all these companies as subsidies for employees not working and keeping them, you know, up and afloat and all that kind of stuff, um, there was kind of a little asterisk somewhere in there that said, you know, once things start get rolling, you're, you, there might come a chance where you have to pay a percentage of it back as long as you no longer need the workforce, you know, it, it's that kind of mentality of here, we're going to give you a quasi loan. And then once you get back to making money again, you just give it, give it back, you know, so that way we have emergency funding for when this shit happens because the shit happens. And so a lot of the, apparently um, a lot of the help wanted signs you see around are sort of fake because all these companies have workers that are working, but as long as they're still saying, no, no, we don't have enough people working for us. The workload is too much. As long as they're taking in applications and saying, we're not getting qualified applicants, then they can just keep that money. 
Yeah, I, I've heard the same thing, and I think there's a uh, two factors PPE to loans. it. Yeah, the PPE loans. There's so there's mm-hmm. um, two factors. There's one that you cite where as long as they're still in crisis mode, they don't have to pay that loan back. The other one is, and people probably haven't thought about this. We're all looking at it from the lens of, well, why aren't they raising their their pay rates if there's so much demand? and they can't fill it, why aren't they offering more? And it's because this is a little double maneuver. As long as they're taking applications and not calling people back so they can keep those PPE loans, the other thing that happens is when you do finally get a call back from a company, after you've applied at several, you're going to leap on that job because you're not getting other callbacks. And this is Mm -hmm. a behind-the-curtains way that they can try to keep the wages stagnant. Yeah. On, but, on the surface, it looks like the this should cause pay rates to go up, but the magician's trick is to make you look <laughs> make you look over there while they're trying to keep things stagnant. Right. Don't look behind the curtain. Exactly. Hope none of my coworkers or management listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we the views expressed do not necessarily <laughs> represent this company or its legal team. <laughs> like we've raised their gods or ancestors. This is <laughs> we raise wages where I work, and it hasn't stopped our opening of forty some positions because the current situation I'm in. Because those positions are coming into the plague den, I guess. So there's there's a lot of other factors on that. Meanwhile, my company is still doing mergers and acquisitions in other states. So mm-hmm. and we've and we've gone from furloughs to endless overtime, basically, because they turned the corners where they could, which is exactly what they did in two thousand eight. Same playbook. Yeah, I, th- I think people really should be paying attention to what's happened in two thousand eight because all this is is an enlarged echo, because the exact same issues are present now that were present in oh eight. Only they're magnified because the money's in fewer hands. BlackRock and Zillow buying up properties wasn't new in 2008. Investment firms were doing that because real estate is an easy place to hold your assets, especially during inflation, which is what we're looking down the barrel of right now. And in terms of the employment levels, in terms of per capita, you're looking at similar distribution. So you're actually seeing a massive repeat because none of the holes got plugged. And so if if people are are like at all confused, look at history. This wasn't that long ago. It was 13 years ago when we had our last crash. And I mean, let's, let's just call a spade a spade because that between the supply line problems we're having between the economic impacts and what's looking like massive rates of inflation, like, Natural gas in Europe is about, what did I hear, 400% over last years. So the worldwide economy right now is teetering. It's not healthy. And the the massive infusion of capital that they're crowing about in, in Washington isn't enough. That $3.5 trillion they were touting at the start of negotiations has now been whittled down to, what, one point seven. Yeah, I think that's what I heard this morning. It's not enough Mm-mm. to be perfectly like. I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy about it. It's just it's not a fucking enough. You need infrastructure spending. 
you need long-term infrastructure spending. Most of our electrical grid is over 100 years old. So basically what you're talking about is we need sustainability as a, a country to help maintain the infrastructure that we actually have. We need sustainability and we need local control of our municipalities mm-hmm. and our municipal infrastructure because the shit that's going on in Texas isn't resolved. That company didn't do any infrastructure spending. They're sending out notices to people right now saying, you got to let us know who in your house actually needs power if this grid goes down, who we need to prioritize care to. You I know was, the, the sad part, Sarah, a stupid aside there, but when you said the problems in Texas, I had to stop and think which one you could be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, we got I mean, that problem here too, though, between the dioxane plumes for, that are coming for Ann Arbor. Yeah. Yep. The ongoing PFAS contamination because DuPont chemicals here, you know. Well, in Wolverine um, yeah. Boot Company, in military bases, and if I was looking at a map Selfish, of, yeah. of uh, PPE and, and spread in the water tables, and like Michigan's one of the highest states. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have some of the most contaminated water in the world right now. The last <laughs> infrastructure report card Michigan got, we got a D plus. And that's a, to maintain what we have, being very clear is we are short $4 billion a year to maintain what we have. That's not 21st century infrastructure. That's not all the upgrades that need to be met. That's to keep the potholes out of, you know, local roads, which, hey, I just had to repair my car recently because of that. No, there's bridges not far from where either of us live that, uh, that, are, that are just out right now. Do not use signs up because there's no money to repair them. Yeah, please don't drive on this if you're over five tons. Don't do it. <laughs> well, there, there's a bridge right down the road from me that has been out for almost two years now. They have barricades on both sides that say do not use. So what you're telling me is the shining uh, city on a hill is looking a little dingy. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the, the shine is coming from all of the fucking metals that are in the air that have clung to the city itself. So <laughs> we just I was, painted that I was, aerosols. It's fine. Yeah. Just, I was thinking the shine is all on these rocket ships of some people that have way too much money. Oh, are you talking about the phallic <laughs> shaped ones? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, big flying space dicks. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was quite fitting for it to be shaped <laughs> like that. I'm not going to lie. Like, who put the rockets on the brick dick? Stop that. <laughs> right? All I'm watching the launch of... coverage on Pornhub. Well, oh, I mean, seriously, I thought I was watching Austin Powers when I saw it. That whole sequence where it was like... <laughs> Daddy, that looks like... Winners, get chances. <laughs> It's so many compilations with that in it. I love it. I mean, but it's true though. Like, my God, the one design you could have picked, that was the one you went with. I mean, mm-hmm. hey, it's super good at penetration. <laughs> oh my. It didn't even get out of the atmosphere. Uh, I mean, if that's not a true, true, true <laughs> analogy. <laughs> like, this is honestly just like a multi-billion dollar demon drop at Cedar Point. Like, you just went higher oh, shit. faster. It's exactly what it is. I'm yeah. like, you, you didn't even take a car, cargo load up or anything. You yeah. had a multi-million dollar demon drop. Well done. Yeah, you, you officially have a carnival ride. Congratulations. Millions of dollars, and all you did was launch a dick into the stratosphere. Good job.
<laughs> Fun fact, he gets public contracts. Are right. No. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, you know, kind of pivoting on this, because I could I could bitch about the stupid shit that our government and various corporations mm-hmm. are doing all day. God knows I could. Um, I would like to pivot to to what we do here on the ground. This is where I think your 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 history with solar punk and the anthology that you just brought out really shines. That's a big one. Where do we begin? <laughs> well, how about with the anthology? That'll be a little easier to approach. Absolutely. Available. It is available for pre-order right now. It is an anthology called Gaia Awakens by the World Revolution. It goes live officially next week on November 9th. There will be a Twitter Q&A for that with myself and a bunch of other authors taking part, talking about climate change and sustainability and rich people doing terrible things and needing to be checked for that. That is pretty much what my story is about. And Rich, rich people getting checked for something they do? Oh, that's right. We know it's fiction then now. <laughs> fun, fun fact, it's not the government checking them, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bunch of punks, but it's okay because it's fun. So, yes, that goes live next week. We're also doing a, um, a Zoom live launch event on November 11th. I think that is at 7.30, as I was saying earlier. I'm pretty sure it's 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And, yeah, that's just been a really fun project. It's been – it's basically a long collaborative world kind of covering the later half of the – of the of this century and the responses to the climate crisis across spiritual communities, environmental communities, you know, minority computers, minority communities. I can talk; it's fine. <laughs> and there's some wonderful writers in there. I believe we got. I forget now. Like several countries represented. So it's yeah. Not, it says. So, uh... Says 23 stories by 16 authors from six different countries. Nice. So so we got a pretty good cross selection and it's going to be part of an ongoing anthology. This is the first volume. So it's really exciting to be start to be at the start of this kind of project. Yeah. Yeah. That is really awesome. How'd you get involved in that? Um, it popped up on one of my social media and then a bunch of friends send it to me and be like, Hey, this sounds like it's up because <laughs> it had just come, come off a, uh, a pretty successful Kickstarter campaign that actually funded the project. So then I'm like, okay, I'll knock out 7,500 words here. And I did it in a weekend because I'm insane. Look, and writers got to write, man. When it happens, <laughs> it happens. You can't ignore the muse (laughs) yeah (laughs) so and then i sent it in and the editor loved it so here i am (laughs) so cool so tell us a little bit about the story that you contributed to it because i know you said earlier that they all take place in the same timeline and kind of like it's a rolling story time but with different characters and different people within the same world basically Yes, that, that, okay. that, that is correct. So there's different perspectives all across the world. My particular story is called Talking Trees and the Heavy Metal Moose because both me and the editor absolutely love that title. <laughs> and we couldn't use I Speak for the Trees because of liability issues and it's actually copyrighted by the Sousa State because oh. that was supposed to be a bunch of references in there and we can't actually use that those words in that 
order because it's huh. a trademark. So that's where we came up with that. And my story is about basically a, um, a large corporation trying to log one of the last old growth forests in Michigan. Yes, it takes place locally up at Hartwick Pines, which we went to just this past August, my wife and I, on our anniversary. It's a gorgeous forest. Like, it is a wonderfully spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been to old an old growth pine forest up in the UP, and it's if you're near one or can go to one, highly recommend it. Absolutely, and Hartwick Pine for the uh, for the plug is actually in the Lower Peninsula. It is just outside of Grayling. Ooh! So we stayed in Grayling. It's two and a half hours from here. It's not bad. Not, not a bad trip. Mm-hmm. And it's within an hour of all the lakes and Traverse City. It's a really cool area. Mm-hmm. so you know rich person trying to log that and the bulk of the story wraps wraps around the people that don't want that to happen because most of you here know my love of horizon zero dawn so the heavy metal moose is actually a robotic logger that is yes. to absolutely butcher it and our protagonists come in and one of them is mystically inclined if you've read my other book liminal worlds you kind of know where some of that comes from this is oh gotcha i love this that. is kind of a unspoken Good. precursor it's excellent nice excellent and claire is her name she basically turns the moose that's the plural form into the guardians of the forest and they just wreck everything in the most <laughs> way possible that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> Fern Gully meets uh, Solar Punk, basically. Oh, it was good fun. That's it awesome. Was good fun. I just want to make sure uh, I throw it out there again. The, uh, the book is Gaia Awakens, a climate crisis anthology, the world's revolution, book number one. Publication date is uh, on the 9th, so coming up here in a couple of days. And with absolutely no irony, you can find it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> i mean you gotta use uh, the outlets you're granted. you're stuck sometimes within the systems that you're stuck within until you can break them yes and summon the moose yep. <laughs> summon also, the moose it is also available on several other retailers because you use what you got and i don't have those links handy but several of them are like indie distributor boards that kind of thing perfect yep. Amazon awesome. was just the easiest one to copy and paste. If you get uh, them to us, we can put them in the show notes. Absolutely. I, I will absolutely get those to you. It's weird. I mean, it, it's so funny. Um, I don't know. There, There is a certain amount of irony for me. You know, obviously, you there's certain platforms that you have to use to get things at least distributed, the SEO out there and people knowing about it, awareness and that sort of thing. And then like, there's weird things going on on the other side of the spectrum now too. Like apparently walmart.com is selling a crap load of occult and esoteric books. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, they sell quite well. And I'm like, this is bizarre. This is a bizarre world. We're in. It, it's Walmart though. They, they have every supplier by the balls, basically, <laughs> you know, I'm so used to going like, the few times I've gone in there, their book section is like almost entirely spiritual inspiration, by which they mean Christian spiritual inspiration, because mm. I didn't find anything <laughs> right. inspiring over there. Um, 
and, and Bibles. Walk like, by and immediately burst into flame, and you're like, sorry. <laughs> I mean, so it's really weird to hear that all of a sudden their occult section is just exploding, but apparently mm-hmm. that and the candle section is making bank for them. Okay, yep. I'll take it. It's a W. <laughs> right. The W with an asterisk. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So uh, is it your hope, you think, that, uh, that books and stories like this will kind of kind of kickstart some, of, some people that have maybe been holding back or not sure what to do next or just need a little bit of a boost after the, the weird couple of years we've had? Or, or what's, what's your aspiration with a book like this, you think? I, I think personally that art and stories are absolutely essential to to tackling the becoming the crisis that is here let's be honest about that because in so many ways like the systems we are part of are as much stories as they are fat right like we're a nation founded on a particular story told by a particular set of white dudes that's based on a particular religion and that is based baked into the fact like we're the only country that pledges allegiance to the flag, which is a weird civic religion kind of thing. And I think because the climate crisis requires such fundamental transformations in almost everything we do, that part of that is changing the story. Like we need artists and storytellers as hard as we need people who know to put up solar panels or do carbon neutral or Carbon, carbon negative farming, permaculture. People that know how to do permaculture, like those are two sides of the same coin because they're like a fundamental shift in values and values are communicated through stories. And it's honestly one of the best ways to reach people. Because yeah, I can pull out the IPCC report. Nobody reads that. Only weirdos like me actually read that. <laughs> But if you have a short story that bypasses people's political filters, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's very, uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, because if you look back at all of our cultures, including the four of us here in this room, you know, we all originally stemmed from some form of culture whether or not we still have that culture now is to be disputed because our culture is a cult now but you know whatever i digress um stories have been used as a way of teaching lessons to the younger generations from the older generations you know the parents would drop the kids off to the grandparents while they went out and did the hunting and gathering and all that stuff and the grandparents would tell the story of their people and how they got there. And uh, like, I'm actually reading Breeding Sweetgrass right now, which is a phenomenal Mm. book. And I just went through the Three Sisters uh, story. And it was a story about how the Three Sisters were gifted to this particular tribe and how they actually work together. And then she also looks at it from a scientific point of view to why those three plants work really well together. And so I, I agree with you and I have the same hopes for like my own story someday that what I'm trying to teach 
somehow reaches somebody, you know, that way they'll point it out and be like, we need to do this. Like we kind of need a revolution for our world and for ourselves. A revolution without art is not one worth having. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, V. I agree. Revolution without art is not worth having. And that's like, there's a lot I can hook into there because like braiding sweetgrass was on my mind coming into this because you all Mm. did the, uh, and if I'm pronouncing it wrong, say it, the Mackinac Ode episode not all that long ago. And you started that one with the seventh fire prophecy, if memory serves. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that one is a very important story for white people. (laughs) Is that we are in this place that we're given a choice of paths to follow. Mm -hmm. One is green, one is black. I'll tell you right off Mm -hmm. what path I think we're on Mm -hmm. and why we need to jump track really, really, really quickly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, all those, because so many of those sources of like uh, fossil fuels, it's funny because they are quite literally, you know, coal, oil, pretty darn black. And then Hmm. you've got green is the other path. And that to me relates to plants, which is solar powered, of course. Absolutely. And that I think ties right into uh, braiding sweetgrass in such a a way, because I, like my brain blew up when I got into the later chapters of that, when she was talking about the lessons of plantain and katsu. Oh, yes. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, you it's, got good. A good, it's good. You got a good one coming. I almost don't want to spoil it now. <laughs> but like, there is a lesson in that that, that hit so hard with me because the, the, um, the botanical term for a plant that isn't native but has found a niche in a way it's not killing everything around it is called naturalized, naturalization, mm. as opposed to kudzu, which is an invasive species. Mm. And kind of the dichotomy she set up in that is, are we going to continue to replicate the lessons of kudzu or are we going to act more like plantain, which is actually called white man's footsteps? Um, in some native tradition hmm. and there's a subtle challenge in there <laughs> mm-hmm. or not so subtle challenge which i think ties right back into that seven fire prophecy so beautifully and really puts the challenge on us right now on what the green path looks like right mm-hmm. since we well, cannot continue burning the little remains of the long dead civilization right telling one of the stories that she shared about sweetgrass and how one of her students wanted to do a thesis on um, the involvement of humans on the uh, plant itself and so she had a controlled planting of sweetgrass that she didn't touch at all for two years and then she used two different methods from two different tribes and how to harvest sweetgrass. One just picked the the blades and then the other one ripped the roots right out of the ground. And the findings that she found was that the controlled sweetgrass patch actually ended up faring a lot worse because it wasn't um, 
the old wasn't stripped away and removed so that new growth could come forward and actually create a stronger uh, plant. Um, But the uh, tester plots, whether they just plucked the leaves or ripped them out of the ground, they were both thriving beautifully and there wasn't a big difference between either of them. So both methods were total, totally viable in both ways because of how that plant grows. But what I took from it is fighting against the doomsday people who say, well, if humans just die, the earth would be totally fine. I disagree because there are certain things in this world that need our help to survive. We need to get out of certain mindset mindsets like utilizing fossil fuels we are meant to be shepherds of this earth you know and then it also takes me back to the black ash uh story that she had shared where uh the basket weavers and she was studying how uh the emerald ash borers were coming in and decimating uh groves and groves of these trees and so she did a research study where she went to former groves of where uh, black ash was, was it, was it ash or elm? I, I'm pretty sure it was ash, the black ash uh, variety of ash, but um, where the tribes were no longer located, those groves were totally gone and com- pretty much completely decimated. There may have been five trees within an entire forest worth of trees, but where the basket makers were, those groves were actually thriving and the trees were super healthy because they were cutting down specific size trees to allow light to come in to grow the saplings and actually make the grove stronger and healthier and because of human involvement. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I own six acres of forest own. It's weird in animistic circles. But in the steward, I'll put it that way. And we lost all of our ash trees due to emerald ash borers. Like it's mostly like maple and, and hickory and oak now. Mm. And it's obvious that the ash is missing. Yeah. Ash does very, very different things in the forest because it's one that the others can't. And now we're de- dealing with oak wilt as well, which is ta- attacking a lot of the red oaks. Mm. So it's, it's really troublesome. And I think it, I listen to way too many forestry podcasts. A lot of it hinges in like the fires on the West Coast right now. Mm. So much of that is because we denied Native Americans the right to manage the forest in the way they were, which actually used fire in a lot of ways. Like it was sacred to many of the West Coast tribes, the West Coast tradition, whereas the U.S. Forest Service said, stop burning everything. Fire's bad. Fire can't be used like buildings are more important and on what happened is all the fuel built up anything that could burn built up instead of these tribes you know specifically burning in controlled ways all this fuel burnt up and we get what we have now after decades of policy that says we're not burning anything and now they're kind of realizing oh that didn't work so well maybe we should talk to the natives that have been here thousands of years. <laughs> I mean, well, it's and kind combining of that same... with climate change, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's drier than it was. There's mm-hmm. droughts going on. And even with the stuff in our area, with the, the various tree diseases, uh, the warmer climates allow those diseases to spread stronger. Yeah. Guess what? So, you get bigger fires. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, honestly, like, like this is where 
connecting this to the, the, the issues of the ash and everything else and the, the misuse of fire, the problem is, is that the Forestry Service basically went, that's cool, and only, only recently started paying attention to Native people who might actually have a fucking clue as to how to live on the land and live with the land. Like, I think that's the major disconnect is that it's not enough to live on the land, right? Mm. I think that's the major disconnect a lot of us are starting to see, whether it's the power grid issues, the supply lines, or the forest fires, the emerald ash borer. If you're not going to live with the land, you're going to keep having these problems. Well, and it's like Australia learned that lesson very, very strongly with their wildfires that ripped through the entire country. Only recently did they cede the rights back to the indigenous cultures to actually take care of the land for them. Um, And so now they have the rights to care for the lands around them. But my question is how much is left for them to actually take care of? I mean, I'm sure they can do a hell of a lot better than the white prisoners that were sent there. Sorry, Australia. Um, Picking up on that. So like with Australia jumping on that, like Scotty Morrison's, I called him Scotty, Scott Morrison's government, because Scotty doesn't know, is just like blatantly conservative as hell and is telling the individual states there that they can't pursue renewables even in the wake of all this. Like they're one of the biggest coal exporters in the world because that sweet, sweet coal mine. The thing that galls me is in both the cases of the forest management, whether we're talking ash borers, fire, uh, or the, the fires over in Australia, these fuckers were warned 30, 50 years ago, continuously by native groups. Like, Folks, none of this stuff that we're hearing, even the Seventh Fire Prophecy is over 50 years old, if I remember correctly. So, (laughs) y'all, pay the fuck attention. Like, the Native people are saying something, and they've been saying it, and been saying it, like, pay attention. It is beyond time to listen. Absolutely. And I know one of those niche things I get into is Michigan forest history. Part, part of our vacation up to Grayling, we stopped at the Zibbewing Center. So it's laid out and it tells the story of Saginaw Chippewa in, in particular, but Anishinaabek people kind of wider in the Great Lakes area through the telling of the seventh into the eighth prophecies. The entire place is laid out as this long winding kind of labyrinth. And you go from like pre-colonial times, they've got all of the artifacts dressed up there. They've got birch bark canoes. they got the longhouses. Like it is a cool and don't take pictures kind of experience. But it tells their story through all three of these, all seven of these prophecies into the eighth, which curiously like at the end of the seventh relies on us doing the right thing because we're part of this world now. And of hooking back into a lot what you're saying, like the 70s, that kind of thing, at least according to that center, they put the time of the starting of the seventh fire around the 70s in the American Indian movement is based on the exhibits they have there, which is also... Yeah, I could totally see that. I could totally see that connection to AIM and 
the passage of the law allowing natives to start beginning their own religious practices again. Mm-hmm. And it's also interestingly, like what Samantha was saying, that the forestry service started changing its forestry philosophy. Because going back to like colonial time, forests were treated as a crop. Like as crop. You could cut them down like corn, they'd come back eventually. It's fine. And like the, the, the statistic that put it in perspective for me, if you go back to the 19th century when Michigan logging was a big thing, and we basically built Chicago that then simultaneously burned, and you know, it's complicated. But I mean, you, it happens. Yeah. I mean, but didn't if, Chicago burn because of a cow, though? It's still made of wood. It burned. It burned all that wood we sent them. I mean, look, right, right, right. <laughs> it wasn't the cow. It would have been something. Yeah. Sorry, now I'm just but, thinking of a flaming cow. Please go on. Moo methane. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if you look, now most of you have been around Michigan, you know, a little while. All the wood we have standing now is less than half of what was originally logged out of here. That's how much wood we're talking about. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And, like, we basically clear cut it down to the ground and what we didn't clear cut burnt because now the ecosystem was disturbed and there was brush everywhere mm-hmm. so everything else burnt like we went nearly down to no trees at all and it's insane because the other part of that trip after the Zippowing center in hartwick pines is the michigan logging museum and the two sides of that story are enlightening in kind of a disturbing way because there in the Zippowing Center was the story of what logging did to the natives. In the Michigan Logging Center was the story of how Michigan Logging built it as a state economically. And, you know, to their credit, everything once you get through the past is very, very different in logging philosophy because now we're getting into sustainable forestry and that kind of thing. And Generally, Michigan forests have been growing year over year for about the last four decades. I mean, at least they're actively trying to take steps in the right direction. Um, I remember this was a while ago, um, but I remember reading an article somewhere and I could probably find it again. But it was it was talking about the sustainability of using hemp over using uh trees and back in i think like the 60s or 70s it might have been earlier than that hemp was a really big industry a really big cash crop and the logging industry was starting to fail and was losing a lot of it the big companies that it supplied for because they were transferring over to hemp, which was a lot cheaper material to create. And it was a lot easier. uh, It was a lot faster turnover, basically for product. And so the logging industry got involved and slipped a few bills into a few pockets. And, you know, legislation went into effect and suddenly hemp and anything marijuana related, not even talking about the drug itself, but the plant became exceptionally illegal and we weren't allowed to use it. What I'm interested in seeing is now because a lot of states are actually turning to the use of medical marijuana and even some are flipping to a 
a recreational state, are we going to start replacing our logging industries again with a, a hemp industry? Because it, I know that it would use a lot less land, but we also run into the fact that we have to use up farmland or cut down forests for farmland in order to grow hemp. And that's kind of the trifecta right there. Like um, industrial hemp, generally using hemp for fiber, building material, paper, et cetera, et cetera, is one of the, the, not the biggest, but is definitely makes the top hundred of climate solutions because of its capacity to replace heavy logging, paper mills, you know, normal paper processes, which use a lot of water, a lot of pollution, that kind of thing. And also for building materials, like uh, somebody was posting the other day about like the first big hemp flooring and construction material company in the U.S., And there's a lot of potential there. I'll say having run some in my day job, hemp paper is a little pickier than normal. (laughs) But I mean, over time that can be refined and improved upon, you know, we got to start somewhere with it, right? But I I think the other trifecta of that is massive economic power of the logging industry. Yeah. Nobody gives up their livelihood willingly. (laughs) but i mean there are there are methods that can be put into place why can't these companies just shift their focus because they want to make all the money not just some all the money (laughs) i mean (laughs) to boil it down yeah and i mean this is a a big one especially working in printing because hey you're going to pay more for your books just putting that out there like oh my god pricing increases on paper but like we are having all the raises on lumber. The other forestry product that comes from that is paper. And the amount of economic power they have is ridiculous. <laughs> and that is one of those things that is like a holdover from our colonial history. Logging in many ways built this state and they haven't given that up. Like there's 19th century logging laws still on our books, I think. Wow. The thing that, that a lot of naysayers, when it comes to hemp, don't understand is how much of the background of the nation's history and colonialism is built on hemp. Like, I did reenactment, and I was shocked at the sheer amount of stuff that they built out of hemp. I mean, ropes, damn near anything you could think of. They made hemp into something. Uh, cordage was a huge thing for ships. Go ahead. And it, it was even a native plant to this country. Right. So it, it was here before we even got here. We just utilized what was available and realized, oh, shit, this stuff is really good for like fiber arts and paper and all this kind of stuff. Let's do that. But it it's a proven quantity. So like anybody's saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to have to modify so much of this. that other. No, it is pretty much ready to go. Has been for literally centuries. There's no question it works. The question like you like you both pointed out is that trifecta you keep referring back to. And it's true. Especially, I think, even more so than anything else, I think the logging industry's outsized influence is the big factor here. Because they could pivot. If, if they wanted to make profit on this, they could pivot. It's... Yeah, and it's, it's a rapidly growing... Hemp is a rapidly growing industry in Michigan. And for certain materials paper being one of them, the processes aren't all that different. It's not a 
big retrofit, generally speaking, for a lot of the industries we already have. But I think Storm, the important other one that, that you hit on before I forget about it is the land use issue. Because you often lose forests when you expand agricultural land. It's actually one of the biggest reasons for deforestation is expansion of agriculture. Agricultural land, especially things that are super profitable, like palm growth, palm oil. I think palm oil is one of the biggest reasons we're losing uh, rainforest land use is because palm oil. Right. Yep. You're right. Palm palm oil and cattle. Yep. Often Um, illegally. And I think quinoa and agave as well are two big ex- exports. I, actually, there was uh, there are tribes, I think in Brazil, that are borderline starving because of how much of their quinoa they have to export to the United States because of right. how much of a surge there's been in it. And but- oddly enough, I'm allergic to quinoa. And I, I didn't know it. And then I read that and I was like, oh, that's interesting because I'm also allergic to almonds. And then I found out the whole bee thing with almonds and how they can't sustainably live off of almond trees. So I was like, well, that makes sense. The earth is teaching me in my allergies, basically. <laughs> um, and right. I'm fine I just, with that. I do. I, if I do recall correctly, that I think the, the largest sources of clear cutting are palm, palm oil and, and cattle. So um I did want to ask though, Nick, you, you know, you've been on the show before and we talked about solar punk. You're an animist. So you have that relationship with the world. You've got a background in anthropology and you probably keep track of the science news better than a lot of us do. So from your perspective, what's the good news? What good things do you see going on? Going back to um, kind of what you said, a lot of the good work is predominantly local like we just had the big climate conference still ongoing i think but it's mad at best that's me being nice and not filling this up with expletives we got the you know the federal level the big build back better thing that was supposed to have all this climate stuff in it and is basically tax credits that any company in the world can claim so a lot of the best stuff I'm seeing is actually local grassroots stuff. And this is actually where a lot of my optimism and hopes come from. Like I'm Seraphim Storms, the cross, crossing hedgerow stuff is, is, did I say that right? My mind always yep. jumbles it. Like this crossing hedgerow of, six rain farm. You're yes, that one. Thank you. Is the more local stuff. I know Honora was in here earlier. She's doing work at rescue barn i cannot remember the name for the the life of me go guys go you're on the google race i see you go 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 (laughs) and there's the like the urban urban farming projects in detroit that are big cooperatives there's um cooperative jackson which is jackson mississippi not jackson michigan and that's like a big growing worker owned member owned Society, basically, I think they are working on farms and we're actually working on a land bank last I heard to actually secure more land for their operation and to fund it and finance it and pay their people and other fancy things. Um, That'd be nice. There's like my home city of Jackson just recently passed the uh, urban farming ordinance, which was something I was pushing for a while when I was on the environmental commission. And that's a big deal. 
of local source food and, you know, knowing where your food comes from and it's not always clean and messy and sometimes makes your neighbors angry. What I, what I've noticed, um, and maybe it's because of the people that I've begun surrounding myself with in life or typically grad, uh, gravitating towards, I mean, I, I do work in the greenhouse industry and I've recently switch to nothing but a vegetable greenhouse so that that's all we grow is vegetables. And I I mean, it's a lot, but still, and then in the summer we grow produce for markets, um, but very small markets. So I get to see the hands-on things that happen every day and trying to grow a sustainable garden in a very large area. And it has been a wonderful experience and um, learning experience for myself because I, I knew about how you have to uh, rotate uh, land every year. And actually he uses a cover crop um, that reintroduces nitrogen within the soil as mm-hmm. after it gets eaten up by the plants that he grew over the summer. And um, so he's very sustainable in the stuff that he does, but um one of the drivers for Vanity actually has, he bought a whole bunch of chickens recently and he's getting his grandkids involved in the butchering process of these chickens and teaches them, this is a living creature. So you have to have respect for it and understand that it does have a little life, but you also have to understand that that chicken you buy in the store does not live this way. They live in very small cages somewhere. And he actually did a taste test for them. He bought chicken from the store and then cooked chicken out of his freezer and said, which one tastes better? And every time they went for the one that came out of his freezer, which was raised on his land and interacted with humans every day and had a good organic diet. And I think, I think people have forgotten a lot of things. Um, we've forgotten how to live. We've forgotten how to interact with the land. We've forgotten what it feels like to come in satisfied after a day's worth of work out in the fields with our animals and with our, our plants. And we have forgotten the earth. We've forgotten our first mother. And people are slowly starting to be reminded, slowly, but they are being reminded. And I, I think Sorry, linking this back to the story, uh, the book that is coming out uh, in just a couple of days, I think stories like that will help remind people and say, oh, yeah, I part of me remembers that. And a lot of that ties in, I think, to what Jim was saying earlier about collective action. Like it's a well-known trope in environmental circles that individual actions are necessary, but not sufficient. Like it's great if we're all recycling, but that doesn't matter if the system that collects that garbage just dumps it in the landfill with everything else anyway. And that that's where I think that like what Jim was saying, that collective flex, that collective power is what matters, I think. And having the models to build that collective power on like that's where my optimism lies is that all these various projects are showing one way we could do these things to start networking these things start building them together across the state across state lines internationally you start to get something that looks like 
an alternative to the current system. You have local farmers feeding local markets. You have crafters hooking up and sharing their ideas and locally sourcing material. You have places like crossing hedgerows, protecting the land and doing the best they can. Like, I think it's one of the best ways to get, not, not only to tackle the climate crisis, but also being um, bringing environmental justice into it. Because a lot of like the Detroit-centered ones are run, run by black folks, by black people, by minority people that are doing what needs to be done. And that's a model that you can then replicate in other places. So I, I think if you're like power concedes nothing without a challenge, like Democrats, Republicans, governments are going to continue doing what they're doing as long as they, they are unchallenged on it. And they like money depend on the system as much as anybody else, like taxpayers. Like if taxpayers stop paying money, governments don't operate. So there is an interest in, you know, keeping the system going. And I, I think, yes, we absolutely have to like resist the system whenever it's doing crappy things like oil extraction. But that that's only halfway. That's only half the fight, I think. I think what you and personally as a builder, more creative person myself, like I'm not a lot in a protest. Like I can hold the sign. I'm probably not getting arrested, let's be honest here. But I can build them. We can build models for other people to replicate. We can tell stories that say, this is what this looks like. Please read them and spread them to your friends because that is how you win hearts and minds. I'm going to use that facetiously because of Middle Eastern thing. <laughs> Wars over oil. I'm going to use that facetiously. But that's, that's how you change people. Like, Let's not deny the Bible its power to change the world. Right. <laughs> when it came out, as it spread. It spread because of the printing press. It spread because of the sword. Like, nasty, but that's the most of the Middle Ages are kings versus the church. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Kings versus the church. Can we do that again? Wait. Well, it's not the churches. Is it? Well, I guess they are. Well, anyway. Too many people to fight. <laughs> Sometimes kings with the church, like conversion was kind of a rough thing. <laughs> I think it's true. Now, so do you think, now granted, uh, a lot of uh, deforestations already happened, right? But what do you think about like Maine just pay, passed the, the right to food bill? So in Maine now you have a right to food and that's going to supersede a lot of local laws so that means that people will start to being able to have um, backyard chickens and bigger vegetable gardens and, and gardens where they couldn't have them before because of silly ordinances and stuff do you do you think in areas that are that's already uh deforested is that a good way to get people's hands back in the soil to get them back connected to nature to kind of start that process as well i mean is are, are, is the right to food and the spiritual and the larger awareness actions, are they all like interconnected like that? In my mind, yeah, they're absolutely connected. Like I describe myself, my animism and ecology is two sides of the same coin. Like I would describe kind of what I believe as a kind of eco-spirituality because like speaking as an animist is the idea is generally the, the world is full of persons and most aren't you. And like I have a hard time saying I believe in democracy, small d. I'm not going to talk about the party right now. 
I don't think you can have that, honestly, without including the non-human people. And I know you guys talked about this sometime in the, the Mackinac O'Day thing about how, how Nathan, Nathan, I want to make sure I'm getting his name right, was skeptical of like um, Rivers getting personhood and that kind of thing. And I think with that one, it could be a really good thing. The devil's in the details, because there are countries like uh, Ecuador and Bolivia, I think off the top of my head, that have rights of nature built into their constitution. This is in their law structure and their society. And like with um, the, the rights of the rivers to be um, legally represented in New Zealand, if I remember reading about that one, the devil's in the details there with the legislation about who gets to speak for the river. Because I think in New Zealand, it's specifically spelled out as the people that have lot, have the longest relationship with it. So it's almost specifically, so specifically the Maori oh, are the, the Maori. speakers. Yes. yes. Good. And they're, they're elders. So it does matter how that's framed, I, I think, in animistic policy talks, legalities. <laughs> it's kind of wild that we're in a, in a place where we can even talk about legally speaking people not only putting legislation forward but successfully arguing for the personhood of the natural world i think that's fabulous and yeah absolutely bringing it down to a local level there was just one for lake erie that unfortunately failed to give lake erie rights of nature so it could be legally represented but it specifically came from the people of toledo that were getting the the toxic plumes every year and it was defeated because of massive out-of-state money and ohio hated it (laughs) did you see did you see that uh we've got at least one case in the usa uh where animals are afforded rights uh specifically we can we can thank cocaine really (laughs) has anybody seen this i hadn't heard this one this is a decision from recently it's just uh earlier uh, late october Pablo Escobar had hippos. The hippos escaped and have been breeding in the wild. There was a case to have the hippos destroyed, and the the state government was moving forward with this, and a lawsuit was was brought on behalf of the hippos, and um, a judge has recognized the hippos as having uh, as being interested persons in their own legal defense. So that means legally these hippos are people. That's utterly fascinating. <laughs> That's wow. That's interesting. Right. So if animal more animals oh. can become people in U.S. courts, then. Um, I don't know. That could change a lot of factory farming principles and all kinds of things going on. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have cocaine to thank. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go here because why the fuck not? Um, if we just look at the whole Harambe case, I don't even think I'm saying that gorilla's name right, but the way Harambe. people fucking lost their shit over the death of that animal. And like, I was upset about it too, but he, if you are an animal behavioralist and you look at his video and you understand what he was doing, he wasn't actually protecting the child. That kid was at borderline, like face and death's door 
according to the animal behavioralist, which I'm not, so I can't confirm or deny whether or not that's true. But the way the nation fucking rallied like a goddamn shield wall for this gorilla, like, can't we do that for other things too? Like, there are numerous numerous outlets of these commercial farming industries of how terribly these cows are treated and these chickens and all that stuff and how bad commercial farming is for the land. Like if we can, as an internet, can can we please just, just, just a drop of the aggression that people showed for for this monkey can can we please just put that into like sustainable farming and taking care of our herds and actually you know respecting other animals as being people that would be super guys <laughs> absolutely and i i ties that back into to, to what we were talking about earlier is that putting our money where our mouth is you know maybe not all of us are in the position to building models of what that looks like you know, farming's hard. Not all of us are going to run out and be farmers. Not everybody's able to. Not everybody's afford it. But, you know, we can support the people that can. Mm-hmm. And the more of okay. those you get supporting each other, like, if you get enough people <laughs> to buy in, I guess, you can start replacing, start openly challenging and be like, great, your model, we think it's crappy. Have you seen ours? Please don't buy me up. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where supporting local CSAs, supporting co-ops, individual and family farms that are in your area is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, my family has made a habit of buying, I think, half a cow and a pig every so often from local producers. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't just go to Cattlemen's, although Cattlemen's does a lot of uh, business with Detroit-based farms, which is great. So even if your butcher does the job for you, taking the extra step to get out of Cargill or Tyson, or if you're, if you're a meat eater, um, getting out of Purdue's pockets is all to the better because you can reinvest all that capital into your own community. You know, whether it's buying a three buck pack of eggs from Dawn Farms or Crossing Hedgerows, that is literally investing in your local community. And it doesn't have to be like every week. You're like, all right, I'm going to hit up my, you know, I'm going to hit this one farm up. Uh Oh, they're out of eggs. I'm screwed. Like, it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be that stressful. Like anything you can do, whatever income level you're at, whatever your place in society is, anything that you can do, even just lifting somebody else's voice up with a retweet or a share or especially word of mouth. It helps. I mean, it's no different than sharing this show, which you should. You should definitely share this show. You should share around Grandfather Fire to all your friends and all your social media outlets. Yes, um, please. <laughs> we love you. Um, but I mean, like, seriously, like a lot of the solidarity that we talk about with regards to the show applies equally well to farmers, activists. If you can't physically go to a protest, or if, in my case, I'm the breadwinner. I cannot afford to get arrested. I can't afford to spend a week or three in jail because I put my feet down somewhere. I can't afford it. My family can't afford it. So I will happily send money and resources to the people who are going to be on the front lines. And if I can make it to a protest, that's great. But 
sometimes, and this was found with the line three and uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. Sometimes you don't want a bunch of white motherfuckers showing up and taking your resources that are needed for people who are already on the ground. So support the people who literally live there who are doing these things. Like solidarity takes a lot of different forms and solar punk, which is one of the things I love about it and why I really appreciate your writing is that your characters in these stories take a lot of forms and they're not all one solid stock character. And it doesn't fall into the great man theory of history trap either, where you've got to have this ascendant person who leads the people into a glorious revolution. That's not how this works. And I appreciate I'm not the chosen one. I mean, you haven't whipped out a blue lightsaber and slaughtered younglings yet. So I'm assuming not. He is the Quisex. We we don't, we don't talk about it. Younglings are complicated. Totally. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> I mean, but if people actually, actually, that's a really great segue. Like Dune is actually a really great book. If you want an over, overview from a very, it, 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 it is a thick book and it's sometimes hard to get into for some folks, but I loved it because it addressed issues with Messiah complexes and environmentalism all in the same book series. And really for me, it hit me at a brilliant time when I was in college and I was open to that uh, kind of uh, sitting down and, and eating a book very slowly, but kind of tying that back in, like there's no hard There's no one hard you can pick. <laughs> there's no one Harkonnen in this equation that you have to oppose yourself to. There's a whole bunch. <laughs> Absolutely. And like some of you have seen my rants online. Some of you have it. I don't care. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. Like the, the, the other part of resistance is how all, having alternatives to point to like that's in leftist thought that's called dual power theory is that you're literally trying to replace the thing that's trying to kill you. So that's governments, that's corporations, and yeah, you're confined by the system you're in, but if we're talking pagans, if we're talking, you know, the vast majority of humans on this planet and responding to the climate crisis, one of the better things I think we could do is build the alternatives that reflect our values. Like, holy crap, if you have the opportunity to build a permaculture farm, like, where do I send my money? Like, do you need help? I... I I still haven't got out to crossing hedgerows and that's on me. <laughs> Thursdays are weird. I'm just going to say that. Well, I think she has Saturdays open now too for volunteers. Yeah. I'm moving people through the end of November. <laughs> I'll try. I'm just saying. I'll try. There's always spring. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. the thing yeah. is like, if you can't physically show up to a place like crossing hedgerows, fine. We'll take your money because God knows we need it to do projects. I mean, no, I'm, I'm being blatantly serious. Like, No, I we, know. We, it's just the way you said it. I already donated, Sarah. Stop no, I know. Down. I'm not talking specifically to you. I'm talking to everybody else who's like, I can't show up to these farms. Not a problem. If you've got a farm in your area or if you're here in Michigan and you're like, I don't think I can make it to Crossing Hedgerows. Not a problem. You can still financially support. That is still an offering. That is still doing something really powerful and positive. You're not putting it into a corporate farm. You're putting it into a nonprofit that is taking care of the land. That is literally set up to do that work. Whether you're spending your money at a local farmer's market, you are putting money into the hands of your local community that then 
gets spread into your local economy. They're all to the good. The solidarity goes around and around. Yeah. I mean, picking up on that, especially with the climate crisis, we need everybody. I am terrible at marketing. I am not an engineer. Please help. <laughs> like community is a variety of skills and we need everybody in this crisis. Yeah, I mean, every every skill set is very valuable in this given moment in the world. This is an all hands on deck. The ship is fucking going down. We need we need carpenters. We need bailers. We need uh, rowers. We need uh, ship makers. We need we need everybody, basically, Um, and any amount that you're able to do is enough, even if it's your neighbor who's like, Oh, you know, I've really been looking for sustainable farms somewhere in the area that I can get fresh produce from or eggs or whatever. Be like, hey, I know of this great place that you can can donate to or, you know, whatever. Or wait, maybe we should start a co-op together. Um, you got to start that conversation, though. And I know it, it's scary and it's hard because this politically charged climate right now we're in it. But Dude, I'm telling you, just do it. Just open your mouth and start speaking. It's once you start, it's difficult to stop. And I've been very lucky to be graced with the people in my life that I have because we all share the same views and same ideas on all this stuff. And we can just be like, yeah, things, let's do the things. And it's amazing. And it's a great feeling to have a community like that. So just, just start talking about it to somebody, anybody who will listen. I have a question for you. It's something that I've been pondering for a little bit as we've been talking. Um, We've talked a lot about uh, human community solidarity and ecology is one half of your animism. What is that other half? What does solidarity with those beings look like to you? If you feel comfortable sharing that aspect of it, of course. No, I'm an open book. I'm just trying to figure out how to articulate it so it doesn't sound like word vomit. (laughs) It's okay. It's fine. We can pick yeah. for the word vomit. It'll be uh, it is. It is. And and it's it's recorded, so if people have to go back and listen to it again, they can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I look Just like go a dumbass on more than one platform. <laughs> you are far from a dumbass, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Aggressive so, support, okay? It's the only thing I'm good at. This lighting doesn't show me blushing, so it's fine. It's Rhoasia. It's good. But <laughs> got that too. So so I I define animism as as a worldview more than anything. So you can bolt lots of fun things on, like weird things, as the the, the basic idea that the the world is full of persons, most of which are not human, and life is lived in relationship to each other. And ecologies, the scientific study of the relationship between organisms and their environment. So, like, these two are kind of two sides of the same coin, but implicit in that definition of animism, so spirituality is kind of all tied into ecology, is the implicit idea of, are these healthy relationships? There's this idea of, is what you're doing contributing to the well-being of others? And in this case, others is a huge effing category. (laughs) Like, is the way I'm living, not only doing the best I can, you know, we're not perfect, we're we're human, doing the best I can to maintain good relationships with my other human being. That's why I'm a raging leftist. But also, 
is this contributing to the well-being of the non-human people around me, the other than human people around me? Is the way I'm living making the world better for everybody in the widest sense of that category? Not just, you know, human peoples, not just human descendants, but am I doing the best I can for the rocks and the trees and the river? And yeah, that's all, it's a wide thing, but there's almost this implied duty of service to life and this planet. Like if you look at animism in its Latin roots, it's life, breath, spirit. We're the only planet we know of with a robust biosphere. Like, holy crap, there's a spiritual duty there. <laughs> and that's writ large because, hey, there's plants, animals, and yeah, I got to eat some of them, but at least I'm doing it responsibly. <laughs> like right. eating, eat people, eating people is a thing in animism. You don't get around that. Like, how do you sleep at night after you eat other people? <laughs> Pretty well, turns out. I mean, especially with, like, steak and red meat. I mean... Like, red meat makes me sleepy. It's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't have made it taste so good. Sorry, guys. I mean, right? Like, stop being a tasty other person. Yeah, there goes the vegan. It's so weird. We lost them. Good job. See, all right, so let me see. So, so far, we've had Caitlin rant about four things to try to get us deplatformed. <laughs> hey, and I can't help it. All right. You know we who I work for. <laughs> like, <laughs> welcome to Caitlin's No it. Filter Hour. No, like, if we get canceled over steak jokes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I like, like if we get canceled over it. steak jokes, this is the least of our problems. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I actually have a, a curiosity question because um, for a lot of us, animism and spirituality came into your life a little bit later on, right? It hasn't always been a part of you, not at least not in a an awareness part of you, I guess, because I know you've been a hunter for most of your life. And there was that, that relationship between hunter and huntee, I guess. But my curiosity is how has taking on an animistic worldview help your relationship with other human beings? And how have you used that worldview to help others with their relationship to the other people of the world. Okay, so this one goes into character backstory, and I'm sorry you don't have four hours. <laughs> yeah, no, pared down, pared down. I feel like in a lot of ways, I was an animist before I had a word for it. Like, I, I consider a lot of my spiritual path to be being frank, forest taught, wilderness taught. Like I grew up in a very ho-dunk place with a very small community. And most of them were like 40 miles away. Maybe not that far, but like friends weren't easy to come by. The human friends. Anyway, so I spent a lot of time wandering in fields, wandering in forests, like wandering around the big country of my house and, you know, not trespassing until I figured that out later. That was a law. <laughs> So, like, there was a lot of formative experience in there. I'm like, it's not just me. Like, you, you realize going into the hunter thing, that kind of thing, like, that tree has personality. This deer is one of a kind. I've named them. That, that's fun. Like, I 
chased a deer around, didn't chase, but like watched a deer for an entire season, little, little, little button button, like nothing you'd ever develop. But I named him Courage because this little guy had cojones and not literally, but like he'd walk up under the stand, make as much noise as he wanted, chase the other deer away, look right at me when he's done. I'm like, you little son, you little piece of I'm like, you got courage. All right, that's your name. I'm going to call you that for this whole season. And he came back like every couple of nights just to screw with me. Like, I'm like, that's brave. I'll, I'll give you that. And it, it, it realizes that, you know, these are spiritual beings. These are other beings that have personalities just as much as we do. And there's some fun word connections between personality and mind and spirit and a lot of fun tradition. But you realize in a lot of ways, they're just like us, like, especially in Finnish folklore, that kind of thing. Like bears were a big thing because they were like us, like stand up. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the bear. Look at me. And they, they were treated like relatives for that reason. <laughs> in, and that's not just Finnish, but <laughs> storm broke. I'm sorry. Bears before bears had social media. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> No, all I could think of was that gif of the bear just sitting there and then he pops up and he's like waving at people and it's the most adorable thing in the world. I'm sorry. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of like that responsibility behind stuff I said, but like you mentioned the, the Harambe thing earlier, like we see personality in these other people. And I'll admit first off that rocks are a lot harder. I'm like, this rock has personality. Nah, it really doesn't, but... <laughs> Like, this rock is kind of boring. But you also get... I mean, rocks Rocks have been around for a really long time. They're a little bit of the, the slower-paced people. <laughs> you know, less brazen and ballsy as, say, a button buck. And, and you also get things like... I don't remember the name. I'm not going to try and butcher it. The, the stone in Scotland folklore that picks kings. A stone that is absolutely a central character in its society mm-hmm. the rock <laughs> and that's where you get a lot of spirit a lot of personalities consider something like stonehenge this has meant a lot to a lot of people mm-hmm. and if you're telling me that doesn't have a spirit and it's a lot of big rocks that kind of look like jingle blocks but hey that's not <laughs> but it's i was going somewhere with that and it's gone that train station. <laughs> it happens. It's choo choo. Whoa, look, that thought just went. Love the whooshing sound they make when they fly by. I had a thought. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, there's that thought. Oh, well. It looks gross on the wall now. I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> but okay. my, my question was how did uh, your relationship with animism and understanding and awareness of animism help influence the relationships that you had with people? And how did you, you have you used your awareness of animism to help others build their awareness as well? Yes. Okay. Second part of that question. I was going somewhere with that story. <laughs> so I, I really think it, like, I'm introverted as fuck. Let's be honest about things. Like, Peopling with humans has been hard. I kind of dig trees and animals a little easier than I do. Maybe that's me. But it made me take a step back and look at really how I was moving through the world. Like, how do I relate to my little human beings, even if I don't know them? Like, I've got kind of insane neighbors that aren't 
probably great people right now. I've still made my best effort to be a decent neighbor to them. Like, I'm not running the loudest thing I have after 11 o'clock at night. We all work. The way things go. I'm not trying to terrorize them and chase their dogs around. Like, it, it made me take a step back, and it definitely leads into kind of my political beliefs and also just Will Wheaton, don't be a dick. Like, <laughs> like if I approach a stranger, I'm generally going to assume they're a decent person, and I want to come off the same way. Like, I'm going to help out somebody who's maybe in rough, side, rough times and give them a few coins. Like, donate directly to the homeless. Or get swindled. I mean, you always take a gamble, and I'm not here to assume their motivations, right? Because you could easily... There's a good word. It's brought out a lot of empathy, I think, in me. A lot of... I can see myself in this person, and I can kind of see how this person sees me. So... Like what Dallas was talking about earlier, kind of that duty to the well-being of others, I do the best I can. I also give money and support policies, which I think are going to benefit the vast majority of people. Like that famous Spockism, the needs of the many above the needs of the few. Like, eat the fucking rich, because we could have nice things like healthcare. Like, it's, it's crazy. We could have decent environmental policy and we could fund them like we could do better for everybody on this planet if we threw elon musk off i mean i mean if it really is a flat earth maybe we could just take him to the edge and just boot him off at very least you'll have a rocket you'll go in the sun it'll be fine yeah you know icarus it's cool yeah absolutely get closer to the sun no please please please, icarus Come on. I, I know. I, I love Icarus. He's such a wonderful character. Um, <laughs> I, it, I'm so glad that you said the phrase eat the rich because it reminded me of a bullshit story that I'm currently writing to kind of lure the muse back in mm-hmm. and work on certain writing structures. But the very first line is, huh, look, eat the rich and it's a story about two sisters who kind of traverse a zombie apocalypse and the scene that you come into their lives in is they're standing on a hill above a grocery store and there's a dude in a business suit and loafers slipping through a parking lot trying to get away from a horde of zombies basically (laughs) (laughs) and i was like that's the perfect way to start this story yeah let's do that Something that struck me as I'm listening to you, and we, we've had a lot of excellent conversations on this, but something that kind of struck me, it, it resonates with my own journey as a heathen polytheist and animist, is most of your political views spring out of your spiritual views and not the other way around, which I find really, I, I find that really interesting. And I find that process of digging into the implications of your perspective, well, of my perspective is what led me to a lot of the positions I hold. You know, if I live my life by hospitality, what does that mean when I extend that to somebody besides human beings? You know, if I believe in gods and ancestors and Vatir, and I say, okay, hospitality, it applies to all beings. Oh, shit. There's a lot of implications there. Being a good neighbor is not just keeping the volume down. It's also (laughs) not, maybe it's moving the rocks. Maybe it's leaving them the fuck alone. Maybe it's 
hanging pretty offerings on the tree or again leaving it the fuck alone because leaving it the fuck alone is always an option yeah like i I can't (laughs) emphasize that enough as i was studying animism under um under kelly harrell and that kind of thing how quick the word community how big the word community got once we started unpacking some of that and that you know the the well-being to the, the the duty to the well-being of myself as well as others, how big that got once I st- stepped out my door, right? That That's reflected not only my political beliefs, but how I garden. The fact that, you know, half my yard is wild is literally me leaving it alone and making space for them to do their own thing. Like, I, yeah. I and it's right. me, me using less fossil fuels. It's me planting trees out there to help the succession process because i want to live in a forest i really do and Mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm stuck with a field i'm stuck with a field so i'll make it i'll let it grow (laughs) yeah i mean just driving through our neighborhood if you didn't know where we lived through this description i'm about to give you you would easily find where our house is not only do we have the biggest oak on the entire property in our backyard but we also have the most trees in our yard compared to every other house and that has been kind of an ongoing thing with me and Matt is we find uh, saplings in areas that we know they're going to struggle to grow or they may damage the house or yada, yada. We'll transfer transplant them to another area of the yard so that we have blockades to the, the neighbors and all of their bullshit, but also trees. We need them to live, you know, they're, they're good standing people to have in your, in your yard and in your life and, and that kind of thing. And, but I, I agree with when animism was first presented to me, I realized I, you know, I was very, my upbringing was very similar to yours, except I grew up on a lake. So I, I had people on the weekends in the summer, but you know, nine months out of the year, it was me and a couple of old people, you know, and I had the woods to one end and then I had the lake to the other end. And so they've always like, they, they raised me kind of in a way. So I've always had an animistic worldview and honestly, like forests a lot more than I like people, but you know, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but when I was able to put a name to it and understand the philosophy of animism, my world got so much more full and more um, whole, I guess, because I I didn't realize that part of it was missing because I, I didn't know that it had been there before, if that makes sense. You know, my, my awareness of that part of my life, wasn't there but once it was brought there it was like oh that's what i've been missing that makes sense okay yeah, yeah. so it, it it's almost like returning home in a sense you know ecology out of a fun fact means study of home really that's interesting mm-hmm. that, that's the etymology of kosios the first part the last part study of but yeah the first part is greek for home Home, home, something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun that way. But, yeah, I felt the exact same way, and it's good to know I'm not the only person rescuing maples from Eve's troughs. I mean, what? <laughs> no, definitely not the only one. <laughs> I love Eve's troughs. Like, it's always maples. Always maples. Always. 
oh, oh there's trees in my eavesdrop. One of the first projects on our new property is probably going to be replacing all that fucking crabgrass crap they have, all that ornamental grass with native grasses. That's the first project I plan on doing for our property is, is getting rid of all that. Yeah, now, I didn't want to shit. bring that up until you mentioned it because we haven't talked about it in a while, but I want to say, honestly, I have brick envy over your new house. Goddamn, the brickwork on that is so pretty. Fucking <laughs> gorgeous. I just got to convince Voya to finally give me my damn cash. Yeah. Or something. Like, um, but the the thing that that I take away from this is that my responsibility as a homeowner extends to the, the ground that I'm on, to the plants and the animals and the things. And so, to a certain, I'll be making prayers when we take that grass out, and we we make prayers when we put the the new grass in. But for the earth itself and all the animals and the plants and the beings that live on that with us, for us the responsibility is greater to the soil and to the animals and plants than the grasses that were there before, because they shouldn't be there and they're actually harming. And I think that this is, is a thing that animists have to deal with in some way, shape or form is, is harm reduction as opposed to um, this is where we're, non-harm from an animist perspective i think it's caught in some serious weeds pardon the pun because you literally cannot exist and regenerate the earth without doing some active harm to something that is living and has a life and you have to pick and choose what relationships you are going to foster and you're going to encourage and in this case i want to plant native grasses that are native to michigan specifically because the ornamental grass bullshit we have all over the place isn't any good for soil retention. Um, and so it's, it's this balancing act between how do I be a good neighbor, but also recognizing that some of these neighbors need to fucking go because they're not healthy for anyone. Like kudzu, for instance. Like kudzu. Yeah. And I, I agree with that, especially like I learned so much animism from the forest. It's not even funny. And because it's like, this gets so community oriented, so harm reduction. Like there's no such thing as no impact. Existing is an impact. Existing as white Westerners in the richest country on earth is a huge impact. Last number I saw, our general average impact is about 8.8 hectares per person. And that is like up to 20 acres of impact per person. Resources, energy, that kind of thing. And generally, the sustainability for most of the planet is about 1.8. So figure that into your brain. Like it takes twenty acres on average to to sustain about our lifestyle as, as people living in America. You know, there's a, there's a lot of variabilities there, but it's it's this idea that we do the best we can to lower our impact where we can. And like Jim said earlier, sometimes the answer to that is doing nothing. Like people freak out when they find out like the biggest offering I give in my spiritual bath is water. Because it's the thing every plant on this planet needs. It's the thing every single living thing on this planet needs. 
Like water is life, literally. <laughs> it, it's my most common offering. I don't understand. I don't understand like, why people I've, make their shit. I've, I've literally gotten pushback on that. They're like, why just water? Why not beer? Why not wine? Why not something you've spent more for? I'm like, well, because beer creates toxicity. Beer changes pHs. Wine change pHs. Like even dumping tea on, on a plant too often changes all that. Yeah. Tea's and- kind of acidic. Yeah, and water is a helpful thing, and also you can bless it and infuse it with good energies and prayers and all that kind of stuff, and not actually harm the plant with the uh, the tea and the the milk. Oh yeah, please please stop dumping milk on on roots and stuff. That that's great. Um, actually, let's be, had- let's be real. Like the biggest reason why people make those arguments for why aren't you using more expensive offerings is the fucking expensive part. It's not about the offerings. It's about how expensive they are. Mm-hmm. And, and that is actually the antithesis in my understanding of how offerings are supposed to be given. Yeah. Because it's not about the expense. It's, is this something that continues a good relationship? Is this something that develops your relationship together as beings? You know, whether it's water, beer, whiskey, uh, whether it's bread, whether it's seeds, Whatever it is, whatever you're giving, mm-hmm. it furthers the relationship or it doesn't at the end of the day. And if I'm fucking up the soil and you can't live, that's not a good offering. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, stop giving wildlife Pop-Tarts. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> but in the other thought process behind that is, you know, jumping off of the everything needs water water is the common denominator between all beings we all require it for life and survival it is the one thing that connects everything together you know so offering something as pivotal as water something that is necessary for life is such a great offering because we also need water to live we don't need wine to live we don't need beer to live we don't need it (laughs) water is the thing that keeps us all alive so offering something that gives you life force to another being that will give it life force to me that is one of the greatest offerings you can give to another being absolutely and like hinging off where all this started please don't cancel it for going full circle but That story that you so wonderfully read at the beginning of this is about melting glaciers and the fact that we live in a state that was shaped by glaciers and water is absolutely definitive to how we exist. I mean, you are literally surrounded by water if you live mm -hmm. in Michigan, literally. And, And I think just putting a strong opinion out there that if we can't, people in Michigan can't get around protecting the basics that is our great lakes what is your spirituality doing so um (laughs) little little crazy gym aside and then and then a question for you but the the aside is i can tell what kind of media i've been consuming lately because when you said don't leave pop tarts as offerings my brain went yeah because as of november 6th the union is still on strike and they haven't ratified a new contract also, also a valid reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also and important. Please support <laughs> workers. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the, the question I have for you, Nick, is um, so you've admitted 
even earlier on this episode that you're not like a, a super stand up in public and uh, extrovert type guy, but you do have a really important push to be doing practical things with your animism and your beliefs. And so as a way of encouraging maybe others to do the same, to step out of their comfort zone, not looking for specific details, but tell me a little bit about your experiences with being more public and joining that commission that you did and some of the work there. Because I think it's, it's important to inspire others to, to realize that they can get involved at some of those levels. Yeah, like start, starting with the basis that animism is foundationally practical. Like Jim, you've said it so many times, does it make the corn grow? And, you know, you're circling back, like, don't dump a bunch of sugar on corn. Like, don't do it. <laughs> it doesn't go that well. Like, water is probably the best thing, maybe next to, you know, fighting the things that are trying to eat it. But, <laughs> but there, there's a bigger discussion there. So, like, wrapping that into kind of the rest of your question, I've been doing some mentoring lately. I served on an environmental commission for two years. And if I didn't say that was one of the most uncomfortable experiences I've ever been through, I'd be lying. Because <laughs> holy crap, is politics messy and questionable results at the end of the day. And so there's like with the current project, I had to start back up my Twitter, which I really haven't used in years to start promoting this project. And it's been really uncomfortable. And now we're going to do this um, this launch party next week on the 11th. And there's a potential that could be a very big Zoom meeting. Like, not only do I have to consider that I have to be at my dad's for a better bandwidth because crappy rural internet, there's going to be people and they can see me. <laughs> Like, I'm panicking, no more than a little. Because, like, as a writer, my natural environment is under a rock with the lights off. I mean, food's a pretty good way to get me to come out, but holy. <laughs> so, it's for me, wrapping into that animism is definitely have that more public service, community service thing, because community's big. And, but at the same time, it's growing as a person and stepping a little outside your comfort zone and realizing this is a lot bigger than yourself <laughs> and that service to community sometimes be, means being really uncomfortable and dealing with people you'd rather not. Yeah. I mean, because for a lot of people, <laughs> myself included, to, to even think about getting involved in stuff like that, it's really intimidating. But once you actually do that reaching out process, you're going to find that a lot of these organizations are actually very hungry for the help and the input. I mean, even on a governmental level, I know, you know, for you, it was kind of uncomfortable at first, but you did grow into that, that role and you um, were able to express opinions that other board members weren't comfortable with necessarily, but those conversations had to be had. So I don't know. I think it's cool that you could step out and do that. And I don't know, would you encourage other people to do the same? Would, should they take the big leap like you did? <laughs> I, I'm not going to recommend anybody follows my first footsteps first off. <laughs> okay, that's uh, fair. That's fair. But like I said earlier, I, I think we need everybody. You know, we need the people willing to suffer through the commissions 
And we need the people to tell the stories. We need the people to write things. Not all this work is glamorous. Like, holy crap, the vast majority of is isn't. It's me pouring water on trees. It's super exciting and dramatic. <laughs> like, it makes great storytelling. I took all of the water out to the tree again. Yeah, good spirituality. I mean, it's really exciting for the spirits who are getting the water. So you could actually write the story from the perspective of the spirit who is receiving the water. Like that might be the peak event for that tree on that given week. It's like the day he brought the water. He's like this weird bipedal creature that I don't even know a name for. Keeps bringing me water. But let me tell you, it's super great water. But he's kind of weird. But I think we're friends. We have agreed you are not orcs. We're still going to consume your bones when you die, but, you know, respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that could open up a whole tangent if we want to talk about the dead, because, hey, philosophy is a fun thing. Yes, I love but... this. <laughs> so, and this is kind of for all three of you, but because of your your spirituality and your, your life, really, being so steepled in animism, I actually had a really interesting epiphany a couple of weeks ago as I was just kind of thinking about the state of the world and the earth and the people within it and how how we're kind of going to hell in a handbasket and the basket's on fire and, you know, we're all on fire and, you know, just fucking chaos. But I was having, I I have moments of contemplation where an idea pops into my head and I just sit with it for a very long time. But this analogy popped up in my head where I got to thinking about houses and not, not like physical houses really, but just like the idea of a house, the, the shelter, the, the comfort, the warmth, everything that goes into it. Right. It requires a human to not only build it, but to maintain it and also keep life within the house. Once the house is built and maintained and lived in, it it deteriorates in a way, but very slowly as the human continues to keep awareness of the house and caring for it throughout the years. But once an individual moves away from that house and nobody, no spirit, no awareness returns to said house, it deteriorates very rapidly, slowly at first, but then it starts picking up its momentum over the years. And it very rapidly begins to fall apart. The roof kind of sags and falls down. The walls warp, the moisture returns and, and, and twists things on the inside and somebody, and I'm not totally sure who, who it was, it, it was a big spirit of sorts, but they they kind of snapped my attention to that's what's happening to the world around you. Because while humans live within the house of Mother Earth, your attention, your focus, your your spirit has left her. And now she's falling apart. You have to move back into the house. You have to return to the awareness of the house in order for the house to remain standing. And I I was just wondering about your guys' 
thoughts on it or whatever. Um, maybe it's just a crazy manic thought that I have it because that happens at times, but um, it was just an interesting analogy that steamrolled its way through my brain. Now, see, I, I, I would disagree with that analogy. I would say okay. that we didn't leave the house because we're still here. What we're doing is punching holes in the wall and burning things down and then trying to figure out why it's not as habitable as it once was. I'm going to be in kind of the same kind of thought because my first thought on that was that the house falling down isn't just a natural thing. Like things return to the earth. Mm. Kind of how things go. They break down, they get recycled, they come back as something else. And at the same time, kind of what Jim said, because the analogy I've used for the state of the world is kind of, you know, the, the spaceship Earth thing. Like we're all on the lower decks realizing things are flooding and on fire and holy crap, we need to change the course on this thing. Mm. So that, that's kind of my two cents on it, I guess. All right. So basically just a crazy steamroller of a thought. I mean, it works as, as a very bare bones analogy, but like for me, the the reason that a, that the home imagery doesn't work in regards to an analogy for Earth is because we make closures inside of her and she embraces us as we are. And it's us trying to continuously modify the environment that is actually causing the issues here in ways that are diametrically opposed to what she is. Well, the idea of rooms within a house is kind of interesting, though, um, mm. just in the sense that like if I destroy somebody else's room, I can't just go, well, mine's fine. So that means the whole house is fine. Yeah. I, I think that the, I think it's, it's the process of building and ensouling a place doesn't apply to her because she was here before all of the things we have ever or will ever build. And she'll be here long after we're all dead. And she is the great adjudicator of life here. And, uh, I think though that with regards to our place and things, it's a very apt analogy because that is our home to maintain. It is our home to take care of things. And by abdicating responsibility, whether it's somebody else to take care of it or it's not my problem, whatever, we've gotten into the situation where now we're looking down the barrel of drastic measures need to be taken in order to curb the polluting of the atmosphere. Not unlike, well, I have been putting firewood up the chimney for the last 20 years and never bothered to get a chimney sweep in here. Like, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> and now instead of just getting a chimney sweep, you might have to, say, get a creosote uh, descaler process started because there's so much buildup that you can set your house on fire. Uh, yeah, so I guess in some ways the analogy works pretty well. Another way, on the most part, I don't like it because it encloses the mother and I have problems with the enclosure bit of it. Um, Also because of the the impact of Inangarth versus Utgarth with regard to my heathen worldview. um, Part of the power of Yorth is that she is outside the house and that she is wild in a lot of ways that you cannot control and that even inside the house there's shit you can't control like you can't control whether or not the roof is going to cave in in 30 years even with 
doing all the required maintenance. If a, if a tree falls on the house, you're going to have to get that tree removed and possibly remove the entire roof and fix the damn thing. You know, there are so many factors that are out of our control. It is a great hubris of humanity that thinks that we can at all account for all the particular twists of fate and issues that we encounter with the way we live, let alone whatever else, how and where we happen to be living at that any particular moment, you know, tree falls down. It's not the tree's fault. It's not my fault. It just happened, you know? So I think part of being a good neighbor, part of being a good person, part of being part of the solution is what factors are in my control? Where are my spheres of influence? And yep, the roof's starting to sag. It might be time to replace it. Yep, the front door has been squeaking for the last week. Maybe I should put some WD-40 on it. Yep, the kitchen is a freaking mess. Maybe I should clean it up so we don't have a grease fire. I think that so much of our current predicament where we're at is because we just didn't do the fucking maintenance. And now, now we're in a place where we have to do a deep clean. And nobody likes that. (laughs) But that's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to like this. But if you've been doing your maintenance and your prep, the transition into having to do the work is a lot less strenuous and a lot less impactful on the other people that you're living with in that house. going to piggyback on that because i think that's one place you know devils in the details where the meta where the the analogy could work though like we're if the earth is the house we're not living alone and and living as good people and not letting the roof come in means we're also looking out for all the other people in the house in a way like if the plant (laughs) if the house is full of plants and animals and other people kind of our duty to make sure the roof stays up at the very least, you know? <laughs> so all these people aren't getting crushed by stupid things. I appreciate all of your uh, points of view, but I, I feel like I communicated it poorly, I guess. Because the, the way I kind of understood why my brain connected the two, it was kind of more pointing towards and I, I really hate to say this, but they're real, but weekend pagans or glamour pagans or glamour spiritualists who are like, oh, yes, I love Gaia and I love the earth and she's wonderful and I have great awareness about her. But the spirit of the practice isn't there. That spirit of connection isn't there. And so the I think the reason why my brain went to households is because, you know, you can you can live in an older house and maintain it very marginally, you know, with maybe a few pricier maintenance options here and there. Um, But for the most part, it's easily manageable because, and I was thinking more about like an energetic exchange between the structure and the person inhabiting it. There's a connection between the people who are living in, in the house and the house itself, i.e. house spirits, etc. But there is a disconnect between people and the home that we call earth. 
there's an energetic disconnect or at least a jagged connection that isn't fully there. And it isn't enough to just have awareness of a thing. You have to share the energy with the house that you live in in order to keep it standing, I think is kind of what I was trying to get across with that analogy. Like if you remove your energy from a house, an older house, that house is going to fall apart and it's going to fall into the ground and be inhabitable by anybody. But if you maintain that connection, you maintain that energetic exchange, the likelihood of the house standing is a lot higher than if left alone, I guess. I gotta that, be that's honest. still very I, poorly I, described. I think the I house guess. is an interesting metaphor just so we could talk about things like rooms and kind of think about how we separate ourselves from each other in this whole process. But honestly, when we're talking about bigger picture items, I don't think we need the metaphor. Let's just talk about connecting directly to the earth because people understand connecting to the earth as much as they understand houses. I mean, I, I think the metaphor is acting in some cases might be adding an extra layer that we don't need for this conversation. I, I could see where, where she's getting at that the houses are work, houses are responsibility. Like, it goes to crap if you don't put the work in. And a lot of that can come to like relationships within the house too. Like if you don't maintain your relationships, households are not a fun place to live with other people. So I could kind of see that working. Well, I think I think like the the house metaphor, if we're gonna go with the the portion of it where it falls apart unless people are are living there and working on it and trying to improvement improve it, doesn't work as much for Mother Earth, because as Saren said, she was here first. What it does work for is our society and how we're interrelating with each other. And can we put in that work to live in that society, which then allows that society, that house, to have a good relationship with the land that it sits on? I can see that. I could agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for me, that would work much better as an analogy because it, 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 it flows and fits better. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a man-made construction and it's a man-made construction that needs a whole lot of fucking upkeep if it's not going to fall apart. Yeah. Right, and I'm not disagreeing with you with you at all, uh, Caitlin. It's just yeah. I think that I think it actually what you were looking at isn't an individual's relationship with the earth or even with each other, but it was more of a... Uh, the house is a great metaphor for that societal thing. And I think that's really more of what you were looking at than um, our, our direct relationship with the earth itself. If that makes sense. And I'll yeah. Openly, yeah, it does. And I'll openly confess my bias and my love of things that have fallen down and regrown. Oh, I, cool. <laughs> I have an unhealthy addiction to abandoned and destroyed structures. So I, yeah. I share that love and interest, I guess. It's yeah, always fun to a, watch the uh, forest eat a Buick. <laughs> yeah, or a bus. A, there's a train, old train station by my house on one of the new bike trails. It's just this pile of fallen brick walls and like old iron structures and it's all overgrown. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. <laughs> I think that um, bringing this around to hopefulness and solar punk, I think that's a, a great advantage in that particular worldview and that particular writing style is that destruction is in a very real sense, a form of beauty, especially if it gives way to these better ways of living with the world. 
and likewise the perspectives we have on, on animism and polytheism and so on is the beauty can be found in the rot as well as the green growth of life that there's not a diametric opposition because we recognize that these are cycles not endpoints yeah and yeah, absolutely jumping on that because I like to say shorthand, I learned animism from the forest. And it also points to that at no point are we divorced from that. Like it's a friggin' fantasy that we are not part of nature. Like all of our built environment, all that those stuff, that's the extension of ourselves in our environment. And also like with the forest, so much in, in my personal philosophy the spirit of the forest is in the soil as much as it's in the trees and the animals and the rocks. Because what the soil is, is generations worth of accumulated dead and the memory of the earth kind of stacked up that is literally feeding the living. Well, what I'm hearing Sarah say is that uh, we've got to take aspects of our society and our economy and mulch that shit. Hmm? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I mean... I'd be okay with a society modeled after a forest. And maybe that circles around to our question of what does the green path look like? That's how ecologies unfold. <laughs> I mean, you know, honestly, though, whether we're talking about how we literally take care of our dead, our physical shells when they die, whether we're talking about old money and how that gets recirculated into the economy, whether we're talking, I mean, I'm, I'm an eco-socialist. Like, let me just put my cards in the table. I'm an eco-socialist. Yeah. I have a vested interest in our economy mimicking nature because if it mimics nature, it will eventually flow into being natural. It will nat my, my eventual end goal, my hope is that we naturalize the economy. And I'm intentionally using that mm -hmm. from Robin Wall Kimmerer's Brady Sweetgrass. I want our economy to naturalize. What we have right now is not natural. We burn our dead, we blow up the money supply, and in no way, shape, or form are we doing any of this to provide. It's being hoarded. We have a shitload of dragons that need slaying. So I think we need to get to it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, well, I think with that, we're going to have to start wrapping up. Uh, Nick, any final thoughts for us or anything else that you want to talk about? Ooh, there's so much more I want to talk about, but I also need <laughs> decent sleep. Like we only scratched the surface of this philosophy of the forest thing. Like, yeah, I, I came with notes for that one, but it's, it's fine. Next See, time. You need to tell us. You need to like. I've got no. notes on something, and we'll just be no, like, "Okay." I am absolutely us... <laughs> okay. I am absolutely okay with this unfolding organically. Okay, so I'm... for the next episode, when you're on, we're going to go through all those notes. Like, if you all want to talk deep animism and deep ecology, I will. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, we definitely should do that. Definitely, I yes. absolutely would love to have well, that conversation. <laughs> so, sometime in the we media. started this with one of my stories. And I got permission from my working group. Would you like to end it with one? And I will tell yes. you. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Okay. So I'm not great about the oral storyteller thing, but this is basically our story of the four seeds. In the height of summer, the bear loves the sun-grown berries and the warm waters. The, the bear enjoys the summer, loves the heat, and plays 
throughout the forest and the fields. But the fox, not so much. They hate me. They hate the, the burning sun. And eventually, the fox plans to steal the sun. And while the bear is enjoying, the fox takes the sun from the sky, bounces it through the field, and eventually buries it. The fox, being kind of silly, eventually forgets about it when the long, dark day set in. And so the fox goes about its business, and the crow grows tired of being cold and frozen all the damn time. So eventually, with long, long sight and on the wing, the crow goes looking for the sun and eventually finds it. In the depths of winter, finds it frozen in the ground under a lake, pick your version. But the crow's terrible at digging in the frozen earth. Crow cannot get the sun out of the frozen earth. And eventually, wolf goes running by. And crow goes, they have big paws. They can dig well. They hide their bones all the time. So crow goes to wolf and is like, please, please, please help me dig up the sun. I'm cold. I'm tired. I want winter to end. So wolf goes, well, I got a lot of fur, but you know what? I'm kind of cold too. And wolf helps with crow to dig up the sun. And eventually it returns to the sky and bear comes out of hibernation because they like the warmth. And the cycle starts over. And then all the orange barrels grow and construction season begins. <laughs> <laughs> April showers growing May construction barrels. It's a fact. It is. Absolutely is. Yeah, that's definitely a Michigan creation story. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, well that's part of it. It is an ad lib, but it's okay. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us again, coming back on this show so many episodes later. We really appreciate it. And um, people should look for Guy Awakens, a climate crisis anthology, the world's book revolution, book number one. And that'll be coming out in a couple short days on November 9th. And then they can also look for the Twitter Q&A on the 9th and the author launch event on Zoom on the 11th. I'm sure you can find that with some Google searching, but I'll leave some mm -hmm. links in the show notes as well. But uh, thanks. Thanks for joining us again, Nick. This is a lot of fun. I hope to be back and I'm a glutton for punishment and it's great to <laughs> see and talk to you again. Honestly, this has been wonderful. It, I mean, awesome. like I said before, it was almost two years before I had last seen you. And I, I want to uh, also plug your book series. It's liminal worlds, you know, go check out the book whole series that he wrote on uh, I believe Amazon, right? Yes. There, there are it. two series on Amazon. Liminal worlds is the start of a new one. And I'm under a lot of pressure from the wife to finish the next one because she wants to know what happens. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm waiting. Yeah. It is a winter project, so I'm hoping this goes better than the <laughs> pandemic year when it goes to <laughs> Thank you all so much, though. Yeah, thank yeah, you for cheers. joining us. And, and thank you to all of our listeners, our Patreon supporters. We love and support you in all that you're doing, just like you support us. And if we encourage you to shop the people that we ran the advertisements for earlier in the episode, and just in general, share the show, continue being the awesome community that you are. I love our Discord server. I love all the places that we interact. And so we want to thank you so much. And... 
with that, we'll talk to you next time around the fire.